0: Good evening, saints. We are glad you're here to worship with us tonight. Uh, we're going through a, a long process, and we're, we're wrapping up now, of looking at uh, the master plan of God in terms of all his work. We're calling it the fundamentals of everything. Uh, We've divided things up into five categories. Uh, I heard somebody today give like a a uh, seven-category description. There there are different ways to uh, explain this, but if you have a paradigm, you can adjust it and and move it around if necessary. But if you don't have any paradigms, if you don't have a framework, uh, then it will be harder to understand what's going on. And we started with creation, then we went to the fall, and then we looked at redemption, then proclamation, and finally restoration is what we've been looking at. Uh, last week, we looked at the new heavens and the new earth. We said, uh, you know, the heavens and the earth as they are will, will pass away, and new heavens and a new earth are coming in which righteousness will dwell. And uh, this expected new heavens and new earth Uh, motivates us to live godly lives. Now, when I was giving that message, I I usually teach this in a a Sunday school first and then uh, have an opportunity to teach it here in the Sunday evening. And and there's sometimes when I'll get questions or feedback uh, that'll kind of change the trajectory of where I'm going because it shows there's a need uh, for certain types of information. So after I, I taught last week, I was getting some questions kind of about uh, what happens when we die. You know, there's this new heavens, new earth that's coming up. Uh, So I decided this week to kind of focus on uh, the future of the body and the spirit. Uh, And and by the way, uh, you know, uh, the word soul has kind of a large range of meaning. Uh, It can refer to a whole person. It can refer to kind of your innermost person it can refer to the non-material person that's a wide-ranging mean, uh, word in its range of meanings there are times when it overlaps the term spirit in its usage uh, spirit as, as we're using it here uh, is really referring to the immaterial part of a person the, the non-physical uh, existence uh, so uh, we're going to be looking at wh- what happens to your body, uh, what happens to your spirit. Uh, so, you know, if you're curious about that thing, wh- what's going to happen to me? What is wh- what is my future? We're going to look at that today. As with most of our series, uh, we are going to try and fit way too much scripture into way too short of time to adequately cover it. Uh, but this is a survey course uh, so we're going to be looking at a lot. And by the way, when I got uh, to this and when I taught it this morning, it's just like there's too much information on this. And with as much information as there is on this, I feel like we don't have a lot of teaching necessarily in the church about it. Right? What what happens right after you do it? What, what, what goes on? What is the the future of our body and soul? So uh, looking at the future of the body and the soul. Uh, first point, I want you to realize this. Uh, th- this will, uh, I-, I could almost guarantee, happen to everybody in here. Uh, we die. All right? That- that's coming down the line uh, a- a- unless we're here when the Lord returns. Uh, but chances are we're going to die. Uh, and this shouldn't be a surprise, but one of the things I've learned as a... a- a pastor working in the, you know, funeral side of things, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, somebody and they're, you know, they're 111 years old and they pass away and the family just says, oh my gosh, I can't believe mom passed away. We weren't expecting this. And you just think, what were you expecting was going to happen? You know, it's, they act like death is a a surprise. You know, I I remember um, my first experience with death was in fourth grade. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side passed away. And we went to the funeral. And there was a time of visitation. And they had an open casket. And I saw the body of my grandfather and realized, okay, you know, that happened to him. That's going to happen to everybody in this room. That's going to happen to me. You know, it's coming. We're going to die. Now, an interesting question, and, and I, I saw it once in the Heidelberg Catechism, and I got a question kind of similar to this um, last week, is uh, why do we die? You know, specifically when you're, when you're thinking about Christians, uh, you think, okay, well, Christ has died for us. Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. Isn't uh, death a result of sin? And if he paid for our sin through his death, why do we have to die kind of a kind of a good question right I mean it 's got some theological foundations it, it, it's got some interesting thoughts here um, and, and it's interesting i 'm going to read what the Heidelberg catechism says and then we 're going to look at some passages and i 'm also going to give a, a couple other reasons. Uh, that I I think are related to to why we die. I always like answering questions I've never really thought of, and this is one I've never thought of. Um, So the Heidelberg Catechism asks this, since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? And, And the answer it gives is, our death does not pay the debt of our sins. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. Okay. Our death isn't paying the debt of our sins for the believer. That's already accomplished in Christ, but it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. Uh, let's, let's hit some passages. We're going to do them real fast. Uh, so I may not, I I usually try and let people uh, catch up and, and keep up, but this time you'll have to be, uh, probably as fast as me or a little faster to keep up, uh, which won't be too, too hard. But John 5.24 is, is the first place where we're going to look at this. Uh, John 5.24. Some of these passages, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you just as we look at, listen to the passages, think about them. We're probably going to reference, we'll be referencing a lot of them back again as we go through this. Uh, John five, uh, verse twenty-four. So, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So we we have those who hears the word of Christ and believes uh, that God has sent Jesus Christ has eternal life. And they will not come into judgment. Uh, kind of remember that will not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. So if you believe in Christ, you're no longer in a state of death, but you're in a state of life. Uh, Philippians 1 is another passage related to this. Uh, this is, I love this. I love the whole book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at, at verses... Uh, 21 and following this, by the way, is Paul in prison, uh, possibly facing a life sentence or or a death sentence, uh, as he is in prison there, he, he writes the book of Philippians. He really doesn't know how things are going to turn out for him. So he writes this to the church at Philippi that is being persecuted for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay. Very important. If I'm to live on in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which I choose I cannot tell I'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better so here Paul uh, is, is is saying hey for me to live is Christ so what's he saying that Christ is my life and death is my gain. Why? Because he gets to be with Christ. And what is Christ? Christ is his life. So death for him is not uh, diminishing his capacity to experience life. It is increasing it because after he dies, he sees Christ more clearly. He enters into a closer union with him. And that's why he said, hey, of the two options, you know, going on living here or dying, I'd prefer death because then I get more of Christ. It, it, you know, it kind of reinforces that, that answer that the Heidelberg Catechism says. It, you know, our, if our death is entrance into eternal life, and if we define eternal life as Jesus does in the book, in the Gospel of John, it's, uh, you know, eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ who sent him. And death allows us more access to life. Alright, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 9 through 10. Those of you who did Sword drills as a kid have an unfair advantage in this message. First uh, Thessalonians five verses nine through ten. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So it it says here that Christ died for us. All right. Um, But does that death exclude our dying? It says so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, in Scripture, when it talks about a believer being asleep, what's that mean? They're dead. So it doesn't mean we completely skip over dying, at least in our physical bodies, but it means that when we die, we're living with him. So here he says Christ died for us so that whether we're alive or dead, we live with him. Again, that that idea of our life being Christ, our life being with Christ, uh, and therefore death is really to our benefit because we gain more of him. Um, I'm going to give a couple other reasons why we die. I'm not going to spend uh, a a ton of time on this, Uh, but death, uh, our, our physical death here on earth, allows us to imitate Christ. Christ died a physical death here on earth, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Died on the cross. Uh, and, and if we die, you know, and we're called followers of Christ, we want to be like him in as many ways as possible, at least usually theoretically until we find out what that actually means. Uh, but at least aspirationally, we want to be like Christ. Uh, one of the things Christ did was he died. Uh, this gives us... Something to offer to God. What did Christ do with His death? He offered Himself in the service of God. Most of the most of the twelve disciples ended up dying martyrs' death. Uh, Peter, when he, according to church tradition uh, they were going to crucify him, and he said, "Look, I'm not worthy to die the same type of death." as Jesus, hang me upside down on the cross. Uh, they, When you look at, at the martyrs of, of the church, one of the things they look at is they say, oh, we want to be like Christ and we want to have something to offer God. Our death is something we can offer. Offered to him, so that you can say, uh, like Paul does to the Philippians, "Hey, for me to live is Christ, and for me, death is gain." Uh, as long as like as long as uh, I am serving Christ, whether in my life or my death, that's the main thing for me. Um, Revelation two ten, uh, as it, uh, Jesus speaking to the church, uh, he says, "Be faithful unto death." And I will give you the crown of life. A very interesting. Uh, death also, another way to answer why do we die? Death exists as a result of the fall in this world until Christ defeats death. So we, we have been saved from the spiritual and eternal effects of death, but this creation has not been remade. We talked uh, so a little bit about that, as we talked about the new heavens and, and the new earth. Uh, one of the things that is, is going to exist until that new heaven and new earth come into uh, in, until Christ brings that about is that death is going to be a, a part of the fallen world until it's remained. Uh, we have a couple passages on this. Revelation 2014 uh, is one description of it. And it's, it's, you know, pretty simple. Uh, th- this is right before chapter 21, where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation 20, uh, 14 and 15 are, are the last two verses of chapter 20 before we get into the new heavens and the new earth. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. This, by the way, is what believers are spared from. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, turn also to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25 it says this. Then comes the end when he, that is Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God and the Father. uh, Sorry, I misread that. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Okay, so death is, is gonna be a part of this world until Christ has conquered all His enemies and the last one He is gonna conquer is death. So, so physical death is gonna be a part of our experience until Christ does away with it. We've been spared the second death, uh, we've been spared spiritual death. Now, okay, so all that explains we're going to die. <laughs> and That's the theological backing for it. We're going to die. Uh, and that's a little bit of why we're going to die. We're going we're gonna to die not to pay the debt of our sins, uh, but rather to put an end to our sinning and, and to allow us to enter into eternal life. It allows us to imitate Christ and have something uh, good to offer God in our death. And then death... Also, it exists and will be a part of this fallen world until Christ subdues all his enemies and the new heavens and the new earth come about. Um, so what happens to us uh, between the, the point at which we die and the time at which the, uh, 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 well, and, and until later points? uh you know what happens to our spirit we're going to get into uh, there there's some uh, fuzzy and unsound theological ideas that kind of float around uh, around this question of uh, what happens to your spirit uh, after you die uh after you take your last breath uh at death the believer's spirit Enters immediately into God's presence. At death, the believer's spirit enters immediately into God's presence. Um, we we have you know this hope in some of the passages we've looked at. Paul is saying to depart and be with Christ is far better. Uh, Luke twenty three forty three. Th- this is a big one. Uh, this is Jesus uh, talking. To the criminal on the cross, uh, and uh, let's look at it. It's it's kind of interesting. Uh, Luke twenty-three, verse forty-three, or or actually, let's back up to forty-two. what the criminal says, uh, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this this guy's being executed by the Romans. It has a sign over his head, this is the king of the Jews. And this guy says, hey, when your kingdom comes, uh, remember me. Uh, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will be uh, today you will be with me in paradise. So there, there Jesus does have a king that kingdom that's coming on earth, but he promises this guy something before that. He says, right now, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Um, uh, that's a, a, a big one to say that uh, after somebody dies, uh, they immediately Enter into God's presence. Uh, we have Acts uh, 7, uh, 56, uh, which is uh, really dealing with the end of Stephen's uh, life. He's about to be uh, martyred after he uh, kind of condemns uh, the religious authorities and leaders uh, in his day. Uh, and it says in Acts chapter 7, beginning in 56... Uh, And he, that is Stephen, said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he sees God and he proclaims, he asks him, receive my spirit. Now, um, you know, the, the language, uh, that is used uh, by Jesus, by Paul, uh, by Luke here in Acts, uh, it goes against a, a couple of false notions that creep into uh, answering this question of, you know, what happens to your spirit or your immaterial part after death. Uh, it, number one, it goes against the notion of purgatory. Uh, that after death, and we, 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 we got some people with Catholic roots in here. My, my mother uh, came, it was saved out of Catholicism. That doesn't mean that all Catholics are unsaved. Some are saved despite their Catholicism. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, this is one of the major, uh, I, I believe, false teachings that crept into the church. And, and the notion of purgatory is you've got to purge out after death. Uh, that You know, you may have some sins that were undealt with, so you, you've got to go through this type of suffering that purifies your spirit so that you can then go into heaven. Uh, that's not the picture that Scripture gives. By the way, you know, if you think about people who, who probably had a lot of sin to work through and, 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 and burn up, the guy right next to Jesus on the cross might be one of those people, you know? It's like Jesus is, is falsely accused in being crucified, but the guy next to him wasn't a false accusation. He did the stuff he was getting crucified for. Yet Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, look, uh, you got to, you got to spend, uh, you got to spend, a, a, you know, a couple hundred years in purgatory, uh, work through the the sins that haven't been dealt with. Then I'll see you in paradise. No, he says today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and, and the the notion of of purgatory also presents that Christ's work, atoning work for us on the cross, was an incomplete work that in addition to the cross, more of a price has to be paid. So, so the passages we look at are a- against that uh, notion of purgatory. It also goes against the notion of uh, soul sleep. Uh, th- this is where I got s- some questions wi- with people. Uh, and, and this notion of soul sleep really comes kind of from uh, reading too much into or, or falsely interpreting the passages where it talks about believers being asleep. You know, I asked you earlier, you, you know, in the in the first uh, Thessalonians passage, you know, what does it mean to be asleep? You said it means to be dead. Um, so, but even though it said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, that they were asleep, it says that they are living with Christ, right? So, but what some people do is they take that notion of uh, asleep and they say, uh, you know, after death, uh, you, you know, your body and your immaterial part separate, and, and then your soul goes like into, uh, hibernation. There are different ways. Some people say it goes, it enters into a timeless state, uh, you, you, you know, or, or, I mean, you almost think of like, you know, somebody frozen in ice. Uh, so for them, and they, and then they explain away the other passages like, well, you know, you're frozen, you know, you're not aware of things, and then next thing you know, you know, you're, you're with Jesus or, or things like that. Uh, that's not really the indication. When Jesus says it today, uh, he's, he's not saying it'll appear like today for you after your soul goes to sleep. Uh, the sleep language in the, in the New Testament is, uh, you know, is pretty, uh, clearly just saying, hey, the sting of death has been taken away. You know, it's not something you need to be afraid of. Uh, most people are naturally afraid of death. Most of us aren't that afraid of sleep. So it, the, the sleep language is to diminish the power and the, the authority that death has. And, and so that we start taking on this attitude that, hey, when we die, that's something that's actually good and beneficial uh, that we can enter into. Um, Uh, Other reasons why this soul sleep, I I think, is is not quite accurate. Uh, Hebrews 12.1 talks about us being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And and then goes on uh, to describe essentially heroes of the faith. Uh, and, And when he is, you know, describing the the great crowd of, of witnesses. He's not talking about people. Um, you, you know, it, it comes right after chapter 11, where it talks about uh, uh, by faith, all these people did stuff. You know, and, and who's he talking about? Well, he's, he's talking about Abel. He's talking about Abraham. You know, he's talking about Moses. Uh, He's talking about all these people, you know, Gideon. He says, I don't have time to tell, of, you know, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. I don't have time to talk about all them. And then he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So he says, you know, all those people, Abraham, all those old Old Testament saints. He says they're witnessing us and how we are living in light of the promises of God. Now, that, that seems to indicate that they have some sort of level of consciousness and, and are somewhat aware of the things that are going on in the earth. Uh, so that, that goes also against this kind of idea of uh, soul sleep. And by the way, uh, did, you, did you notice that we even talked about this Sunday morning a passage that goes against that idea now, this morning we uh, uh, Cole spoke on revelation six ten uh, revelation six ten um, uh, back up to verse nine it's the opening of the fifth seal. when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of god and for the witness they had bore they cried out with a loud voice o sovereign lord holy and true how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth so so what's that that is uh, souls that are existing in heaven that are crying out for the justice of God to be accomplished. So that, that doesn't sound like they're uh, in some sort of soul sleep. Uh, these, the, these passages indicate that the spirits of believers are present with and conscious, present with Christ and conscious in heaven. Okay, so there, there, there's not a suspended animation. There's not a delay before we get to experience who Christ is and and see Him. Um, so that's what happens right after we die. Our spirit is united with Christ. It comes into His presence, and then believers await. The receiving of a resurrection body. Believers await the receiving of a resurrection body. Uh, by the way, this is our glorification. So we we you know we've talked before about salvation being uh past, present, and future. Uh we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. And when we talk about our glorification uh, in, in Scripture, uh, the, the glory that is uh, re- revealed in us uh, is related far more than I think most of us as Christians understand to our physical resurrection, the, the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, uh, the best place to, to, to hammer this home comes from Romans chapter eight. Okay. So are, are y'all tracking with me, by the way, you know, we're, we're going to die. Our spirit enters into the presence of the Lord, but then there's still something future that is awaiting us when there is the resurrection of the church. Okay. Y'all tracking with that? All right, all right, in uh, Romans chapter 8. Also, do you all notice how many different, you know, books we're looking at in this? I mean, we're going to Thessalonians, Corinthians, Philippians, John, uh, 1 John, Romans, 1 Corinthians. I'm starting to repeat myself. Acts, you know, we're going all over the place. Hebrews. You know, so these ideas are, are not things that are isolated. They, they they show up a lot of the places, but part of the problem is we don't always look at them all in quick succession to kind of build a more cohesive picture of what's coming down the road. Romans chapter eight, verses twenty three and twenty four. Um, Actually, let's back up to 22 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope. We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Look at verse 23. As we groan inwardly as we eagerly, uh, uh, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As he say, right after that, for in this hope, we were saved. Part of the hope of our salvation, hope of our glorification is that we are going to have bodily redemption. You'll see how big that is in that passage and by the way it's not just us looking forward to that but all creation is groaning and awaiting eagerly the glorification of the church i mean that's that's a that's a huge huge deal here um also by the way i, I want to uh, encourage you uh uh, in your spare time, if this is a topic that interests you that, that you want to delve more into, just just read First Corinthians chapter fifteen uh, That is a, a passage where where Paul is kind of rebuking and, and working against uh, some some false teaching that there is no such thing as resurrection so First uh, Corinthians fifteen he talks a lot uh, about resurrection First uh, uh, Corinthians well, um, let's do First Corinthians fifteen forty-two 42 and, and 44. Uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Here, here it talks about uh, th- that we are going to experience resurrection, but that our existence in resurrection is going to be somewhat different than the way our bodies are now. Uh, aren't you glad for that? Um, oh, but, but, ugh, man, like I said, I got too many too many passages. Um let, let's look at uh John 5:28 and 29 real quick. I know we're doing like I know this is drinking like a, from a fire hose, but there's just so many good passages on this. Uh John 5 um sorry, 28 through 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, so... There's going to be a resurrection. Here it says a resurrection not only of believers, but also of unbelievers. Uh, those who are believers are going to experience a resurrection of life. Those who are unbelievers, a resurrection unto judgment. And when it talks about judgment here, it means condemnation. Um, uh, we we have also uh, passages like First uh, John three two. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Colossians three four says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This answers the question of when do we receive. The resurrection bodies. It is at the return of Christ. Now uh, you, you'll notice one of the one of the things I didn't get into is when will Christ uh, return? Is it after the tribulation? Three and a half years into the tribulation? You know, uh, I, did, I avoided all that, uh, all those issues. But uh, when do we get resurrection bodies? When Christ returns? Uh, and then uh, 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 we've looked at some passages related to this. Another question talking about these resurrection bodies is, well, what are, will our resurrection body be like? Uh, one, one thing to remember is that Christ already has a resurrection body. So one of the things it tells us in, in uh, the passages we just read, 1 John 3, 2 and Colossians Three, four is that we will be made like Christ. So our resurrection body is going to be like Christ's resurrection body. So we can kind of look at some of the things uh, that happens happen with Him. You know, we see Him. Uh, you know, He eats fish. Uh, he shows up physically. He, he, he shows Thomas the holes in His hand from his crucifixion Uh, it's physical but at the same time it's not a uh, physical existence like what we are used to by the way you know we know that from the stories about Jesus as well he shows up in locked rooms you know he does things that we we can't really do and uh, 1 Corinthians 15 points to a, a lot of these differences. It says that which is perishable is raised imperishable. That which is sown in dishonor is, goes into glory. Uh, that which is natural, some, some passages say physical. Uh, that's not really a, a good translation. Natural is better. Uh, a natural body is transformed into a spiritual body. Now, what's that talking about? Uh, that last one uh, uh, can, can get a, a little dicey if you misinterpret it. Uh, one of the things that is talked about in Scripture is the sin that dwells uh, in our flesh, in our natural fallen state, um, you know, you know it's, it's described as the sin which lives in our flesh. It's even as described as uh, the sin which lives in our members. That's like, a, you know, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. Like my eye is sinful and that's why it like looks in anger or in envy, you know. And there's, you know, this wickedness in my feet, which is why I keep going places I shouldn't be going. You know, it's very like... Yeah, that that sins in there. Uh, it, it's a part of your body. And in, in the sanctification process, we get the spirit that is then waging war with our flesh or the members of our body for kind of control and supremacy of uh, what happens. Do you live a life controlled by the flesh or a life controlled by the spirit? So when it says here that uh, what started out as a natural body is going to transform into a spiritual body, by spiritual, it means controlled by the spirit. That battle that we're in right now will be over in the new resurrection bodies. Instead, we will have bodies that are eager to serve, eager to worship. Eager to live under the control of the Spirit. That's what the inclination of those bodies are. Won't that be a relief? Won't that be a, a glorious thing? There are other passages we, we can kind of uh, take some hints at in, in terms of, you know, what this glory will, will look like. Uh, In a way, I think there's going to be a a physical radiance to the sons of God. You you see this from Moses when he comes down the mountain. You know, and it's like his face is too bright for people to look at. Why? Because he's been in the presence of God and now he's reflecting the glory of God. In the new heavens and the new earth, it talks about we don't, they don't have a sun. There's no longer any night. Why? Because the presence of God dwells there and it is radiant. And we who worship him and serve him will begin emitting the radiance that comes from the Son of God. We will be reflecting His glory. Uh, so, uh, and there's, you know, the transfiguration and other things that kind of hint at uh, uh, e- even this higher level uh, of glory that may exist in the resurrection bodies. Um, so th- th- this is kind of a little road map. It- it's pretty simple. Uh, we don't have time to talk very long about what happens to unbelievers. But we did do a series on hell here in the evening service, so we covered some of that. Uh, that at death, unbelievers enter into punishment. Uh, that there is a chasm fixed, according to Luke 16, between uh, hell and heaven that none can pass through. Uh, uh Hebrews 9.27 say men die once and then are judged. This judgment is eternal in duration, both for those who receive a resurrection of life and those who receive condemnation. We see this in uh, Matthew 25.46, Revelation 14.11 and Revelation 20.10. Uh, there will be a resurrection for unbelievers. Uh, uh, before they enter into a state of bodily punishment. Uh, believers have, have a, you know, enter immediately into spiritual, the spiritual presence of the Lord, and then we receive these glorified bodies that allow us to enjoy Him physically. In the same way, unbelievers enter immediately into spiritual punishment, but there is going to be a resurrection of their bodies where the bodies they use to sin will be punished as well as their spirit. Uh, again, this is pointed to us in John 5, 29, that there's a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. And that we are spared because Christ was judged. We are free because he was condemned. And in him is our hope. Our hope of glory. Our hope of resurrection. I went kind of long, so Chris, I think we're going to skip the the last song. Uh, I'm going to read one passage, and this is to encourage you. I hope as you read about this, as you think about this as you try and digest these scriptures, uh, that it gives you boldness in the face of death. Uh, that it gives you a willingness to put aside the things of this world and live for Christ. In all these things, uh, here is our great encouragement from Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why we no longer fear death, but view it as an entrance into Christ's beautiful presence. Thank you so much for being here today. Please stand with me and and receive the benediction. Our benediction comes from uh, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, I, I can think of... Uh, No better blessing to give than this after uh, what we've been studying in terms of last things. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.